Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. Hi, this is Marisa Bono, at CEO at Every Texan. I'm here with Luis Figueroa, a Chief of Legislative Affairs at Every Texan. And we are going to do the breakdown. We're in the final sprint, less than a week away from the end of session. Hi, Luis. Hi, good afternoon. So um, National Lampoon's Family Vacation is one of my favorite movies from the 80s. And there's a scene at the end where they finally, after a long cross-country trip in a car, this beat-up kind of cute green car, they get to Wally World, which is their destination as a family. And they're like running, they're sprinting through the parking lot to get to the end and they get to Wally World and it's closed for maintenance. <laughs> I don't seem to seem that propos. I just was kind of thinking about that movie and the context of where we are in session at this point. What do you think? We would love for it to be closed. We really <laughs> would close the session down, yes. <laughs> um, so we've got so many updates, so much has happened since the last time we provided a legislative update. And I want to dive into that first. But before we get there, I think we need to give everyone a high level overview of what is going to happen over the next five days. What what deadlines already passed this week? Which are there any more coming up? And where will the time and energy of our elected representatives be focused over the next five days? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the very last day is Monday, Memorial Day. Um, that is corrections only. So nothing's really going to happen on Monday. Really, the last day is Sunday. Um, and um, that is the last day to adopt conference committee reports, uh, which is when the House and the Senate version merge their bills, uh, come up with a final bill, and there's a final vote in each chamber. Um, and that last day is Sunday. We have already passed the deadlines for um, Senate bills to be heard in the House. Uh, and we have already passed the deadline for House bills to be heard in the Senate. So we no longer have any more floor debates on the bills. Uh, at this point, we are only looking at the merging of the bills um, in each chamber and the final compromise between both chambers and um, and then the final vote on that compromise again before it gets sent to the governor. Yeah, so just to remind everyone, if you remember your early civics lessons, like I'm just a bill in Capitol Hill, uh, for mm -hmm. a bill to become legislation, for a bill to actually be passed and head to the governor's desk, the House and the Senate have to agree on a version. So a, a bill that comes out of the House has to also go through the Senate and vice versa. And then at the end, there's this um, sort of conference period where both chambers have to get together and come up with a version that they can both live with if the bill is going to pass. That's right. Um, and it's, um, it's a little bit, you know, complicated process. Um, so, you know, the bills, as you mentioned, come off the floor. 
Um, and the way it works is um, a Senate bill um, that's in the House has some amendments on it, it has some changes on it, and they send it back to the Senate. Um, and the Senate can do one of two things. They can concur or go to conference. If they concur, that means they accept all the changes, the bill is done, um, they've agreed to all the changes, and the bill will go to the governor. If they go to conference committee, uh, then we have some additional more steps. Um, then each chamber um, picks five members from each, from each chamber. So the House will pick five members, the Senate will pick five members, and they create a conference committee report. Um, those five members then meet and discuss the changes, and you need three signatures from each of the five members in each chamber to agree on the final version, and then they create what's called a CCR, a conference committee report, that is basically the merged versions of the bill, and, though, and that conference committee report is then voted on one last time in each chamber before it's sent to the governor. So a conference committee report does involve a few more steps than if they just agreed to the changes. Sure, so we, we've been fielding a lot of questions as an organization about how this the process works in the last weeks of session. Are there any questions in particular that have been recurring a lot? Anything you wanna make extra clear or clarify mm -hmm. about the process? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I feel like people don't understand uh, what a conference committee is. Um, and, um, you know, they think about it as, as um, a committee that happens, uh, you know, when, it, when a bill goes to a committee. It's a little bit different because, again, only five members from each chamber. It's that mem those five members are picked from the speaker and the lieutenant governor. It's usually the bill author, usually the chair of the committee that the bill came out of, and then three uh, other people that the speaker trusts or the lieutenant governor trusts. And it only requires a signature, so they don't do a vote, right? Because right. we're no longer doing things on the floor. So the conference committee report is literally about going to each of those five members and getting a signature. It's, it's, it's legitimately just, a, uh, there's a spot on the form, they sign it, and if you get three of them, you're good to go. Hmm. Uh, so it's really important for the members to pay attention to what they're signing. We have seen this <laughs> in the previous sessions where they just ask the author, uh, hey, does it have the stuff I cared about? And they say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And then they sign it, and then they go back and look at it and find out that the bill has a bunch of things that are problematic. Okay, so read, um, read so what you're signing or make sure your read staff what reads signing. what you're signing. Okay. <laughs> Good advice for life. As it is for life. <laughs> right. um, and it only requires three, right? So there will be a couple of members who may never even see it because once they get their three signatures, it doesn't really matter about the other two. Um, and it's also not a vote, right? It's signatures, right? So there's no like public hearing. This is all done as they, you know, they hunt down the members in their offices or on the floor or wherever they can find them and they just say, sign this. Mm. Uh, and so that's how the CCR works. Um, and then they, we get a lot of questions about, oh, well then once it's signed, what happens? Well, you get another vote on the mm. floor. You don't get to do amendments at that point, right? This right. is the final vote. It's an up or down vote. Got it. Um, and if you don't like what's in the CCR, you you got to encourage your member to vote no. Mm. Um, it can and the bill can die at any stage. Okay. Um, so just because it's going to conference committee doesn't mean you're done. You can still kill a bill at that point. Mm. Okay. So definitely still some procedural maneuvers, some strategic maneuvers that can happen for 
good bills we want passed, bad bills we don't want passed. And uh, again, just emphasizing conference committee is not the same thing as your regular house committee or your Senate committee. It's, it's not formal. It's not something where you can have public participation, attendance, um, testimony, things like that. They should call it a conference huddle. They should, right? Yeah, that'd be better. Conference huddle. Too many committees. Okay. So that being said, let's talk about some updates from this week. A lot happening, a lot of ups and downs. It's been like a, a roller coaster. Where do you want to start? Oh my God, there's been so much going on. Um, for sure. I mean, you know, the budget, um, I think it's important to always just kind of mention where that status is. Speaking of conference committee reports, um, the conference committee report is done on that. Um, so they will be voting up or down on the budget this week. Uh, I think it's uh, going to be coming up um, tomorrow, I think. And um, they're just going to vote it out uh, with what's in it. So we'll have an update from Shannon Hall, uh, Hallbrook on, on what the final budget looks like. Uh, but that's important to know. Uh, on the taxes, we still haven't seen the final version of the um, tax cuts about whether they're going to do homestead exemptions or uh, appraisal caps. Um, that is in conference right now, uh, and they haven't gotten their three signatures. So we're yeah. still waiting uh, for the final verdict on that one. So we still um, don't we still don't know if we're doing um, the. Can, why don't you just break down real quick there? There's been this yeah. constant tension between the House and the Senate between the different um, property tax proposals. Um, go, why don't you break that down real quick and talk yeah, about Yeah, sure thing. Important. So the Senate uh, was unanimous in, in wanting to do a homestead exemption. Um, and homestead exemption obviously provides you um, uh, property tax cuts for homeowners, uh, particularly your, if you're a, a homestead. It doesn't apply to commercial. Um, so it's a, it's a homestead exemption. Um, and the House wanted to do appraisal caps. So instead of reducing the amount that you pay in your taxes, your value of your home can't go up by more than a certain percentage. Um, so that was what the House proposal was. There were a lot of um, going back and forth. It was a little bit contentious between the, uh, the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor. At one point, Lieutenant Governor started calling the Speaker California Dade uh, because the California has done the appraisal cap approach and, and it did not work out very well in California. Um, and uh, the House finally um, compromised a bit and did a combination of both. Um, and so that's what ended up passing out of the House. Um, but the Lieutenant Governor was pretty adamant that he didn't want to do any type of appraisal cap. Um, he really just wants to do the homestead exemption. So we'll see if anything breaks loose in the last, um, in, you know, this last week. Um, we haven't really heard what the final version of, of the conference committee report is going to be, but it's clearly um, a must-pass bill um, to avoid special for, for the lieutenant governor, speaker, and the governor. Right, so there will almost certainly be a special session if we can't come to an agreement about which version of tax cuts we want. That's right. And from our perspective, of course, we want investments in education. We, you know, we think the homestead is better um, than the appraisal caps, uh, but we, you know, both sides, both versions are problematic because they're, they're really going to tie down future legislators in terms of investments, particularly if we have an economic recession and sales tax revenue goes down. 
Yeah, it's really interesting that we're fighting over which which tax cut we want when we're on the verge of a possible recession with all of the debt ceiling conversations and debate happening at the federal level right now. If the federal government can't come to an agreement, we'll almost certainly enter a, a recession-like period for the country. Texas will not be an exception. So truly a fascinating time to be discussing giant tax cut packages that are going to affect our um, the sustainability of our revenue in future future years, I have to say. Okay. So homestead exemptions um, are more equitable for Texans. We have a couple of podcast episodes on, like, on that, um, plenty of resources over at the Every Texan website on that. But just in a nutshell, uh, why do we think that that's something that's more equitable for Texans across the board? Yeah, and I think that's exactly right because what it does is that it focuses on one-on-one homeowners, right, as opposed to um, commercial interests. And then also um, homestead exemptions um, provide uh, relief that, you know, uh, based on the value of your uh, of your home, the uh, it's more equitable in terms of, um, you know, if you're a homeowner, uh, versus an appraisal cap, which is only going to benefit the very wealthy homeowners because the wealthy homeowners, their values go up way more than a low-income um, property owner. And so, as you pointed out, it's more equitable to do the homestead exemption than the appraisal cap, um, you know, based on, on equity of fair, paying fair share. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we say equitable, we mean fair. What's what's more yeah. fair? What's the, what's the better deal for Texans? That's right. Uh, so okay. Speaking of which, HB five. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, speaking of fairness, let's talk right? about HB five. <laughs> uh, so HB five, a lot happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, HB five is the tax abatement, meaning that um, wealthy corporations, the biggest of the biggest corporations, Fortune five hundred companies, uh, that come to Texas would not have to pay their uh, school taxes. Um, and the idea of this program is, oh, it'll bring jobs and it'll bring economic you know, incentives to bring to come to Texas. Um, study after study, I've shown that these companies are coming anyways, regardless of the tax abatement, um, that they really want good schools, that they really want a quality workforce. They generally come to urban areas because they need the uh, amenities and workforce that an urban area provides. Um, and by removing the the money from our schools, uh, we have to replace that with something else. Um, and so it creates uh, big revenue gaps that have to be filled. It's really problematic. Um, it is a priority for the speaker. Um, it, it passed out of the House uh, and it came to the Senate uh, and it didn't look like there was a big appetite for it in the Senate. Uh, but Senator Schwartner um, kept working on it and um, there is some uh, bipartisan opposition to it. Um, and so Democrats were able to get some amendments on there. Um, we feel that the amendments don't make the bill much better. Um, and we you know obviously we support um, the idea of making it better. But when we're talking about the revenue that we're talking about here, and we're talking about you know 30 plus billions of dollars on education funds, um, it's just not it's just not worth it. Um, to take all that revenue out of our schools um, to appease these rich corporations. Um, so we still think it's problematic. The bill has now um, passed out of the Senate. 
Uh, we expect it to go to conference committee, although that hasn't been decided yet. Um, and we'll see what the final product looks like, uh, but we're still trying to put pressure um, to, um, you know, to keep working on it um, or kill it. Uh, obviously killing it would be much better, um, but right now the amendments and, and just don't, don't make it worth it. Yeah, so interesting development on this bill, uh, and I certainly something I would want people to understand is it wouldn't have had a fighting chance if the Democrats had been united on the bill and was really fascinated to see a proposal that would take so much money out of our system for public schools um, being supported by Democrats. Um, who at the same time are fighting very hard against vouchers for the same reasons because of the impact it would have on revenue for schools and would love to hear your thoughts on that contradiction. Yeah, I mean, I think in the House, you know, a lot of it had to do with, you know, there was a speaker priority um, and uh, but even but even beyond that, you know, you hear some of the Democrats and they say, oh, well, I'm just hoping that one day we'll get this big corporation to come to our urban area um and they won't come without it and you know one the studies don't back that up um and and two um you know they're just they're not thinking um of the big picture um some of the school districts who do these agreements get a kickback mm -hmm. um and so the way it works is the school district enters to this agreement with the corporation the corporation doesn't pay any school taxes the state makes up the difference to that school district, and then the corporation will give the school a little extra of the money they're saving and kick it back to the school district. It's pretty corrupt. It's, uh, it's not really an ideal way to do our school finance and create some real inequities between school districts. But as a result, the school districts um, have not been opposing this bill, and that's really been the problem um, for us in terms of Democrats. They hear from their school districts, well, we're not going to get the money from the state anyways, because we have one of the biggest surpluses this year, and they're not putting any money in education. Um, and so they don't trust that even if we get $30 billion of extra funding in the state, that it'll flow back to the schools. And I can understand that. But at the same time, I'm like, well, the reason why it doesn't flow back to the schools is because we're doing all these tax cuts. Mm. Uh, and this is ultimately a tax cut. Mm. Um, and there's no chance that you're going to get them, you know, for the overall system if we keep giving these corporations tax cuts. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg game. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I think at the end of the day, we just have a lot of pressure from the chambers and these wealthy corporations um, to keep their tax cuts. And, you know, they have influence, um, unfortunately. And so we, uh, we, we've been pushing back on the other side, um, but, it, uh, you know, they have a lot more funds you can imagine and uh, and they're able to put a lot of pressure on, on some of these members. It's a remarkable reflection of the times that we're living in when our school districts are so starved for funding and have so little hope that the state is going to respond to their needs that they are supporting a proposal that would further limit revenue for schools in the future in the offhand chance that some uh, savior corporation might come at some point in the future and offer a little kickback. They have more faith in a phantom future unknown 
um, yet to be determined corporation than they do in their own state government that is tasked by our constitution to provide a, a thorough and uniform system of public schools in this state. Yeah, well said. You summed it up exactly. Um, right. So kind of like you want to feel like we want to do the mic drop right there, but there's so much more that we need to share. <laughs> so let's, how about, um, let's talk about, Lou, let's talk about preemption. We've been really focused on preemption this session. Um, yeah. Um, so bad news, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, House Bill 2127, which, you know, was uh, referred to as the Death Star Preemption Bill, completely undermines the city's abilities in the areas of finance, agriculture, environment, worker rights, um, and, and other areas, um, was passed uh, and is on the way to the governor. Um, it's already um, been agreed to by both chambers and is on the way to the governor. A uh, very problematic bill, you know, obviously we, we hope the governor will veto it, but we don't think the chances of that are very high. Um, and so, you know, I think it shifts the conversation. Um, if cities are no longer going to be the place where we can um, address worker needs, agriculture needs, environmental needs, finance, uh, fair finance, consumer regulation, then where is where is the place? And the answer is, you know, we're going to have to come up with some statewide solutions. Uh, they don't want a patchwork of ideas. Okay, well, then let's do the statewide solution. Uh, and the other thing I'd say is it's there's going to be litigation over this. Mm. Um, cities are, are already gearing up for that, I believe. Um, and even if they don't, once the first challenges come in, the courts are going to have to determine whether the limitations are of this. Mm. We've never heard about this so-called field preemption that the bill calls for. Mm. Nobody knows what it means. Um, so there's going to be a lot of um, court interpretation of um, if whether this goes too far or not under our state constitution. I can't wait to read the causes of action in the lawsuits that are inevitably going to be filed over this bill. I mean, you and I have talked quite a bit about um, what happens when we cast our vote, when we express our First Amendment right to elect a city council member or our mayor to address local problems, and then all of a sudden that authority and that ability is taken away by the state government and what kind of repercussions that has for our freedom to vote and yeah. our, our First Amendment rights. And conversely, the First Amendment rights that local elected officials have as part of their freedom of expression, their their lawmaking authority, reflecting mm -hmm. the values and the needs of, of their communities. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward on a very wonky, sort of like a wonky <laughs> level. I'm, I'm really curious to see um, the, the causes of action that, that come out of this. But on a broader level, again, it's just a shame we state knows that there's going to be a big legal challenge on this. I think people, Republicans included, have privately acknowledged it's way too far sweeping. Um, there's a reason it was called the Death Star in, um, in sort of public discourse and yeah. um, knew that it was going to draw legal challenges that are going to be incredibly expensive and time consuming for the state. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Um, so I'll just um, add that it also, you know, retroactively applies to existing ordinances. Um, so the first step cities are going to have to do is figure out what existing ordinances wow. are in violation and repeal them. Wow. 
uh, or talents or wait for the talents. That's so gross. And uh, and then do that litigation. Um, and um, there were some other preemption bills that were defeated. Um, there was one really bad one, House Bill 2266. It was even beyond 2127 um, that would have preempted any regulation on any business that uh, has to register or has an occupation license. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much all businesses, right? Because mm-hmm. almost all businesses register with the Secretary of State or, um, or um, file um, you know, their registration, their corporation um, papers. So thankfully, that was defeated uh, in the Senate last night. Um, it did not uh, make the deadline. There was, uh, thankfully, Republicans and Democrats who blocked it. Um, and so we did We did uh, salvage a little bit there. And, uh, you know, ultimately, the, the senators and state reps are going to become the de facto mayors and city council members. And so, you know, I just, um, as these issues come up, um, you know, we're just going to have to encourage people to talk to their state reps and say, you know, I want this problem addressed. Uh, and they're going to either have to give a carve out for cities um, or address it on a statewide basis. Um, so that, you know, that's um, that's going to be really interesting going forward, how that plays out. Yeah, I, um, it's interesting this session. I know that we've received reports from local community members who were trying to call their the offices of their elected representatives to weigh in on on bills and the phones were off the hook or were not being answered and there was no way to get through by phone so i i just it, i just kind of chuckled to myself it's like you think you're getting a lot of phone calls now just wait until people are talking or calling to talk about their parking problems and things like mm-hmm. brush burning and all of the different areas that this that this bill preempts yeah, absolutely, and then uh, I am encouraging them all to blow their phones up. Blow it up. <laughs> really the mistake that they made. <laughs> Call us, we'll help you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. um, okay, so um, running a little tight on time. So we, what about uh, border bills? What's going on? Yeah, there? That, our, our border border force. We were making fun of that name the other day because it sounds like oh space force. Uh, you know, I just feel bad for Representative Guillen. I mean, I mean, not too bad, but this, you know, Representative Guillen filed a bill that was about bringing in grants to the border. Um, you know, it wasn't a bill we supported, but it was about, you know, addressing some of the court um, laws when it comes to the, you know, border security discussions, and about bringing in some infrastructure money, uh, you know, and, and, um, and his bill got hijacked. Uh, it got hijacked in the House first, and when uh, we were able to defeat House Bill 20 on a point of order, uh, they put in the Border Protection Unit oh. into his bill, uh, which was basically bringing, and originally the bill was bringing in civilians and law enforcement to do immigration enforcement on the border. It was, you know, the vigilante bill. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Democrats were able to uh, at least get that whittled down to only law enforcement. Okay. Um, and so we're just not going to have like, you know, crazy vigilantes on this border mm-hmm. protection unit on the, on the House bill. Um, and um, then it went over to the Senate uh, and it got worse. Uh, they added a whole new criminal provision for unlawful entry, uh, which is clearly in violation of the U.S. Supreme Court decision, uh, Arizona versus United States. 
Um, they um, took away some of the safeguards that the House had done about uh, who can be detained, particularly around children. Um, the House had at least said you couldn't detain children that were over 10. Uh, I'm sorry, that were under 10. And they took that provision out. They renamed the Border Protection Unit the Border Force. Um, <laughs> I love just it. like the Texas Border Force. Um, I don't know what that was about. It feels very Star Warsy to me. And, oh, I know. I was like, cue the yeah. Walker Texas Ranger theme song in the right? back. <laughs> well, you know, that's the interesting thing, right? They also took it out of the governor's purview and put it into DPS and the Texas Rangers. Oh, so wow. Rangers <laughs> are going to be. Of the course ones they did. Taking over the border force, uh, you know. Um, what could go wrong? Yeah, uh, it's just, and and then so it just harkens back to the history, right? right. Of the history of um, Texas Rangers. For those of you that don't know this history, in the 1920s, uh, 1910s, the um, the Texas um, the Texas Rangers went around rounding up Mexican Americans in in our border communities and. And sometimes, and in some places, you know, massacring yep. um, families and communities. Um, it was a really awful and dark time in Texas history. And this bill harkens back to that history. It's really awful. Uh, we had an opportunity, um, I think, to kill it last night. Uh, and unfortunately, the Senate Democrats did not step up to the plate um, and did not um, kill the bill, at, uh, although there was an opportunity there. Um, and break so, that, what happened? Why don't you break that down a little more? Yeah, um, so in the Senate, there is a process called the filibuster, um, where senators are allowed to talk for as long as they want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is obviously with two weeks to go in session, filibusters aren't really an option because nobody can talk for two weeks. Uh, but this bill came up at about 5.30 p.m. The deadline was 12 p.m. Um, if, if a senator had talked for... Uh, you know, less than six hours, um, they could have killed the bill uh, on the midnight deadline um, and filibustering it. Um, and they chose not to. Um, and so that's, I mean, I, you know, it was really, it was presented to them. They had a, they had a choice. Um, and um, they just said, well, it's just going to come back in a special. Um, and so basically, you know, this, I, the Senate has become a place where they've just kind of given up. They've given up the fight because uh, they feel every time they fight, it just gets worse. Um, and, you know, it really feels, again, you guys know, were talking about school districts being so starved mm -hmm. that they're just giving in. Um, that's what the Texas Senate feels like right now. They they're don't so feel like they can win. They're so beat down that they don't even want to fight because they just feel every time they fight, it just gets worse. Mm. Um, so the bill passed, um, and uh, it goes back over to the House. We hope the House will take it to conference. We hope Guillen realizes his bill has been completely hijacked, and uh, this is not what he signed up for. Um, and he takes it to conference and strips out some of those amendments, um, pushes back against the, the Senate bill, uh, at the very least takes out those criminal penalties, um, and some safeguards on the border protection unit. We can't, we can't even take that out. I mean, obviously we don't want a Texas, we don't want a border force, uh, but there are at least some safeguards you can put in there to make sure that they're not, um, you know, overly enforcing um, traffic violations and, um, and doing, you know, things that have nothing to do about safety, but have to do with like harassing um, border community mm. residents. Mm. 
So that's kind of where we are on that. Then to make matters worse, there was another bill that was a criminal penalty also by Representative Guillen that was about smuggling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little overly broad. There were concerns that it would have uh, taken in, you know, um, people who are just driving their family around um, and, and um, brought them into prosecution for immigrant smuggling. Um, the bill had already passed the House and the Senate. It got amended last night with uh, additional criminal penalties for unlawful oh, no. entry. Uh, and again, the Democrats were asleep at the wheel on this one. They um, could have blocked it on a, on the on a vote to not have the. Um, it's called the three day rule. It gets a little bit into minutia, but they basically they if they only needed um, six Democrats to not suspend the three day rule, um, and they got tricked. Um, Senator Flores told them that uh, if he could get their votes on suspension, that you know it was it was a fine bill. You know, Hosa added some an amendment to add more family members, and it wasn't going to be problematic. And then they snuck in this amendment at the last second, and the Democrats uh, didn't hear it fast enough to change their votes on suspension on the three-day rule, um, and it went through. Uh, what, do and mean, what do you mean they didn't hear it fast enough? So the way, this is going to get into the minutiae oh, a little bit, but okay. the way it works in the Senate, okay. I'll just real quickly, the way it works in the Senate is you register your vote with the Secretary of the Senate. Uh-huh. So they, she already knows how everyone's going to vote. So in order to change it, you have to let her know as soon as the, uh, an amendment comes up and say, hey, I want to change my vote. They they offered the amendment, said, hey, this is uh, Senate Bill 2424, we're amending it. I move passage, uh, and the lieutenant governor just smacks oh. the gavel, and the amendment is on, and he says, move for suspension of the three-day rule, secretary call the roll, and the secretary doesn't actually call the roll, she just says, uh, she just names the first three senators, you know, Alvarado, uh, Blanco, Birdwell, oh boom, uh, and they smack the gavel, and they're done. Wow. Uh, the senators have to move like this in order to uh, let the secretary know that they, they want to change their vote on suspension. And it's it's tough uh, because that's how the Senate works, but also we're late in session, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this is when they do this stuff. And so... Um, yeah, it's really, it's, really tricky, but it also sounds like that is going to create a more fruitful ground for a legal challenge, I would imagine. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully you're right. Yeah. That's, I mean, iron- that that's ironic. <laughs> Right? <laughs> like they snuck in the amendments that are going to make it easier to challenge this in court. Like, oops. Yeah. I mean, clearly in violation of USB Arizona, yeah. um, I, I think um, they're, they're clearly trying to challenge that law, that yeah. Supreme Court precedent. So wow. it's definitely going to end up in the courts if it passes. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I was operating on the assumption that the courts would recognize precedent, which we can't always rely on anymore these days. Huh? Oh, my God, right? Um, all right. So we... We're a little bit over here, but I just thought we'd finish on a positive note because we have seen some victories or hopeful victories with yeah. some of our legislation related to some of our priority bills related to food access for Texans. Yeah. Yeah. So um, House Bill 1248 um, is a bill that will update the vehicle acid test for SNAP benefits that um, uh, passed the House very smoothly bipartisan. Uh, it came over to the Senate. There was um, some concerns by Senator Colcourse about tying things to inflationary indexes. Uh, we eventually were able to work with her office and uh, update it to a number instead of tying it to an index. 
Um, and uh, and it passed last night. So it took a little while and it took some doing and we definitely had to work at it. Um, but it looks like it's in, in good shape. Uh, I, we believe, again, as Representative Yan will accept the changes from the Senate and uh, and hopefully it'll get signed by the governor and, and uh, we'll be good to go there and people will be able to own a car and, and eat at the same time, um, which is, uh, I think, a pretty big, yeah. basic level. But, only, uh, only took us until, time. only took a pandemic and uh, being in the year 2023 for us to get there. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're hopeful um, everything goes smooth there. And we also have another bill, HB uh, 12, uh, 12 months continuous coverage for mothers. They added an abortion uh, amendment there um, in the Senate, uh, but we're hopeful we can work some language out in conference. Um, but that's another one we're watching that would, uh, you know, improve the lives of uh, of mothers um, and, and improve health come healthcare uh, outcomes uh, for for mothers on that. So it's another one we're watching. Um, so we've had some some wins, and uh, and we just need to get them, you know, through the governor and and finish them up. Definitely exciting to see those bright spots of partisanship back in session. I feel like it's been a while since we've um, seen that type of um, that type of work, and so if nothing else, it's definitely good to see those bright spots. Um, hey, Luis, hang in there. Um, thank you for all the work that you're doing and um, the work that you're doing with our teams. Just want to stress for everyone uh, at this point in session, uh, folks who do this type of work, um, whether it's staff or um, staff of advocate, advocacy groups like ours, um, you know, really are working around the clock to try to protect the interests of Texans and try to make Texas a better place for everyone. It takes a toll on our families. It takes sometimes it takes a toll on our health and just would really want to um, commend and recognize folks like you, Luis, who um, who make this happen for us in the dead of night. <laughs> <laughs> we just try to make uh, you know a better state as in, in the small changes we can, and so I really appreciate all our staff and comms and all the support uh, everyone's provided, and all our partners and our listeners who have yes. been making the calls and putting pressure uh, on different parts of the session, and so. Uh, it really is a team effort. Yeah, your calls really do make a difference. We definitely get comments uh, in the Capitol. <laughs> People definitely notice. So, hey, if if you find these updates helpful, if this has helped um, make what happens at the Texas Capitol more accessible and more understandable for you, could you please share with your friends and family? Consider giving our podcast a follow and sharing it out with folks who you think might be interested um, and thanks for again for your time, Luis. We'll look forward to next time. You got it. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.